Hello. All right. So my name is Bailey. I am the host of this posted recording as well as the owner of the posted images on this blog. I took all of those photos. They're all mine. There's no copywriting issues involved. Um, I am a student at UC Davis and I'm currently finishing up my first year of college, albeit from my house. Um, I know that the majority of people, um, dare I say, everybody on earth, has had to change their daily routines and reorganize their lives because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, I also know um, just from talking with family, local community members about their thoughts on the current situation, as well as tracking the news, that there is a ton of fear about the pandemic and newer and scarier, scarier information seems to be unfolding daily. I also know that it is very difficult to find reliable news sources about this virus and this disease right now. So my goal with these recordings is to provide people with accurate information about the pandemic brought to you from the UC Davis health professionals, virologists, as well as other professionals working with the pandemic right now. I wanna give a quick shout out to my professor, Dr. Khaleesi, thank you so much, who organized this seminar that's allowing me to have access to these professionals that I mentioned above um, and give you as accurate of information as I can provide. Also, definitely check out my images that I posted. Um, the goal with those is to remind us that this is not a normal situation. The pictures are meant to be a moment in time captured with a photograph so we can look back on it and remember this insane, insane period of history, not so that we can adjust to it. So definitely... It's not normal. Don't adjust. It's okay that mental health issues are coming up. It's okay that all that is happening. This is not a normal era. Time. It's not a normal period of time. All right. Anyways, so the format of this recording will be a general question and answer session. I asked family, friends, neighbors what questions they had about the pandemic, what fears they had. So I'm going to be covering those as well as giving a brief overview of the COVID-19 virus. Um, so yeah, let's get started. Okay, so the first question that I'm going to cover is, what is the structure of the virus? So I want to distinguish between the virus and the disease before I dive into this. The virus is called SARS-CoV-2, and the disease is COVID-19. This is similar to how HIV is the virus that causes AIDS. CoV-2 is the virus that causes COVID-19. So when I refer to the virus, I'll say COVID-2. When I refer to the disease, I'll say COVID-19. Also, coronavirus in general is the name of the group of viruses that COVID-2 comes from. And it's predicted to have about, there, there is predicted to be hundreds of coronaviruses that we know of on Earth. But not all of them affect humans. And the ones that do are not all as dangerous as COVID-2. Um, an example of this is the common cold is an example of a coronavirus that affects humans. And I'm sure you've all gotten the common cold. Or if you're like me, you get it every single year and you survive and you're completely fine. So they aren't all as scary as COVID-2. But back to the structure of the virus. So I'm sure that you all have seen that classic image of COVID-2 um, with the red spikes and its bumpy surface. If you haven't, you just Google coronavirus, look at the images, and it'll pop right up. You'll see it. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, so that spikes, the spikes that you see in that image 
are the reason that this group of viruses is called corona because the spikes, the spike proteins refer to its crown. Corona meaning crown. Um, the crown covers a lipid envelope, which is just a layer of fat around the, vi- the body of the virus. The purpose of this fat layer is to protect the virus from its host's immune system. Um, so it's really just a protective mechanism. Um, COVID-2, actually, no, all coronaviruses, not just COVID-2, but including COVID-2, um, they're all RNA viruses, which means that they usually only have a single strand of nucleic acid as their genetic material. Um, specifically, COVID-2 has 30,000 base pairs in its RNA, which is incredibly small. As a comparison, humans have 3 billion base pairs in our DNA. So this is a very small virus. Um, Yeah. All right. I'm going to move on to the next question. All right. Question two. So why is it spreading so fast? Kofi exploits the human need for the social interactions. um, And it does this in order to transfer to new hosts. You probably already know this. This is the reason we're social distancing. This is the reason you can't go to any type of public setting right now. It's the reason you leave your house only to go on a run or maybe pick up some groceries. It's really because COVID-2 does not need an intermediate host to spread. So essentially, humans are dangerous to other humans because we're spreading it to each other. A little side question that came up from this one is, how are we getting infected in the first place? So the reason we get infected is because humans happen to have the correct receptors in our cells to allow COVID-2 to infect us without the virus having to have changed or modified itself from its original host. That was a little wordy, so I'm going to try to break that down a little bit. This means that the, um, the virus jumped from its original host, which are thought to be bats, to humans easily because the virus didn't have to change anything. It just moved from bats to humans. So at the same time, this is a novel coronavirus, novel coronavirus, which means that um, humans haven't had any interaction with it, which means we don't have any natural immunity to it because we haven't seen this strain before. Um, So the combination of these conditions results in a really fast spread. One more thing I want to mention for this question is that Um, The virus strength comes from its gigantic numbers of its population. And the coronavirus, although is extremely sensitive and can be deactivated very easily, which is what I'm going to talk about in the next question, um, it has the ability to turn our somatic cells, or in other words, our body cells, into virus-producing machines, which is what makes it so dangerous. Um, So the ability that the virus has to convert our cells into virus production machines, which is what it does, um, is also why we get sick from it because that kills our cells and it triggers our immune response, which often overreacts, resulting in inflammation and other health conditions that are detrimental. Yeah, so that's why the virus is spreading and those are some of the effects. All right, so for question three, it's how do you protect yourself from the virus? This is a really good question, and I think a lot of people have this question. Um, I know when um, World Health Organization first came out and said to stay home and social distance and wash your hands, um, I was a little hesitant because I felt that 
if that's all you have to do, why is the virus so dangerous? But turns out these are actually really, really good techniques. Um, from the information that I've gathered about the way the virus is structured, these are really good preventative techniques. And I'll dive into that right now. So this virus requires about 70 degrees centigrade to inactivate. To put this in some perspective, um, on average, a rough estimate, it takes about 60 degrees Celsius to kill bacteria, which is about equivalent to washing your clothes on a hot setting in your washing machine. So the coronavirus takes a little bit more than a hot washing machine to deactivate it. So when I first read that, my first reaction was, damn, I've been washing my clothes with my masks that I use to go out that are probably covered in coronavirus. So does that mean my clothes are covered in coronavirus and then I wear them? No, it does not. And here's why. So that lipid envelope that I mentioned before, so it's removed by contact with soap. And when it's removed, that virus no longer has a protective barrier and it can become deactivated. So if your washing machine has soap, which it definitely does, then your clothes will be Kobe safe. That also goes for your hands though. So washing your hands with soap kills Kobe too. So that simple strategy that the World Health Organization mentioned that I initially blew off because who doesn't wash their hands actually will go a really long way. So I'm definitely promoting the who on washing your hands. Do it. Wash your hands. It really will help. When you're washing your hands, think about I'm killing this lipid fat layer around the COVID-19, around the COVID virus, um, and I'm not going to let it attack me. You're protecting yourself. All right. So another way that the virus can be deactivated is through UV radiation um, because it causes mutations in the genome. Um, yeah, so this argument I'm a pretty big fan of because it's an argument for the benefits of going outside during this pandemic when there's a lot of fear of going outside. But this shows that it is actually going to be really beneficial. So going outside is really just as important um, as washing your hands because, you know, UV radiation kills the, it, it affects the genome. So it it's important to do. Plus, going outside maintains your mental health, um, which is essential at all periods of time, but especially during this one. So make sure you go outside, go on a run, pick up your groceries, but don't, you know, it's definitely social distance when you're going outside and, and exercising. Um, and then just wash your hands when you get back and you'll be totally fine. Question four. All right, this is a, this is a big question. How long do particulates linger in the air? So essentially, this question is asking, is COVID-2 airborne? Um, the answer is that of right now, and from the articles I have read about this, scientists are very back and forth, and it's um, actually kind of a hot topic. One study I found um, had evidence that people who have been tested positive with COVID-19 do emit bioaerosols, which are just the particles that come out when you breathe, cough, or sneeze. So, you know, really everybody emits bioaerosols. But they don't know if transmission of COVID-2 can occur through the air. They just know that infected particles are being emitted. Um, the World Health Organization is staking its claim that they do not believe that COVID-2 is airborne at all. Um, a report 
I found from the Norwegian Institute of Public Health claims that most of the transmissions seem to be linked to physical contact, but they are cautioning about limiting aerosol generating procedures, especially in hospitals. So really based off of that information, I would just say keep social distancing and don't breathe on each other. Um, There were a couple scientists who worked with the MERS coronavirus in Saudi Arabia that think that COVID-2 will behave in a similar fashion and therefore can be spread through droplets. Um, And just to clarify, droplets are not airborne. Airborne would mean that the particles can linger in the air and droplets are larger particles that are too heavy to linger. And so they kind of, you know, you, you sneeze and they kind of soar and they drop, but gravity always gets the best of them and they, they don't stay in the air. Um, the WHO claims that COVID-2 is spread through droplets, which is why they're doing the six feet for social distancing. So I guess that means that science shows that no one can send a sneeze particle farther than six feet. Fun fact that you're learning from the pandemic. <laughs> the contrast to this, though, um, is that last month, a report from the New England Journal of Medicine claimed that COVID-2 found in remnant article aerosols, excuse me, remnant aerosols um, that are like resulting from sneezing or breathing um, were shown to last in the air for up to three hours, which is kind of freaky, but don't freak out yet because it's unknown how stable the virus even would be as an airborne, in an airborne state. Um, And it's also unknown how much of it would be required for a human to get sick. So really, they don't know much yet. Um, Like I said, it's a hot topic. They're still coming out with a lot of research. Um, A little side note that I just thought of um, from just from like just now, actually, Um, if the virus is airborne, then the six feet of social distancing really would only apply outside or in a room with a small number of people because that six feet assumes that there's little or no viral concentration in the air. But if you add more people, then you increase the chances of there being viral concentration in the air. Um, But that's just a little side note. And just to clarify, there's no evidence, there's no solid evidence that it's airborne. And a lot of the evidence that I found seems to suggest that it isn't, but it's actually transmitted through droplets. So grain of salt for sure. So like I said, there there isn't an answer to this question. There's not a black or white answer to this question, unfortunately. But I will continue to keep an eye on this research, um, and I will I will keep you guys all updated on that. We're getting towards the end of the recording. Um, I'm going to cover one more question, and I know that there's still tons more, tons of questions, and I didn't even cover all the big ones. But I do hope that the ones that I have covered so far are helpful. So yes, let's just get into it. Question five, where can I get reliable information? This is a tough one because there are so many resources out there and it really is hard to tell what is quote unquote fake or not, right? So my general rule of thumb is that if the title seems like it's trying to scare you, it probably isn't reliable. On my blog, I can post some interesting scientific articles that I think are reliable and that I am comfortable getting information from. Um, An interesting resource that I did come across is a modeling program from University of Pennsylvania called CHIME, which stands for COVID-19 Hospital Impact Model for Epidemics. Um, 
It was created to be used for predicting infection increases for hospital planning purposes, but I've used it to get a better understanding of how the virus is spreading within local communities. Um, you can put in specific parameters like the doubling time, social distancing, which is cool. It's the only one, the only modeling tool that I found that um, incorporates social distancing, which is awesome. And um, it then produces graphic projections of the rates of infection. It tells you the amount of people that are projected to be in the ICU, hospitalized, as well as on a ventilator, given the conditions that you set. And I'm just, I'm just realizing now that as I'm saying it out loud, that this model could seem a little scary because it's kind of just centered around death. But I personally liked it because I was interested, I found it interesting to be able to manipulate the data and see how um, that affects the, the um, outcomes. So, you know, you could, for example, look at how to decrease hospitalization. But if it is going to increase anxieties, and I know anxieties are already really high, by all means, do not use it. Um, but if you are interested in it, I think it's a pretty cool tool. So definitely check it out if you're interested. Um, another projection slash calculator tool that I think that is that is good that I like is from the Institute of Health Matrix, which stands for IHME, called the COVID-19 projection. You can Google IHME COVID-19 projection and it'll come up immediately. With this tool, you can select a country and then individual regions within that country. And then you see a whole bunch of stats on that region. So for example, I looked at Washington state and I can see that the, I can see the dates that the schools and businesses close. I can see when the stay at home order was established um, as well as stats on mobility, um, test testing, stats on testing, um, deaths per day, hospital resource use, um, lots and lots of other things. It's a cool, it's a, it's a cool tool. And um, it's a little less scary. It has a fun interactive format. Definitely check that one out. Definitely recommend. So I am going to call that a wrap for recording one. Thank you to Professor Sam Diaz-Manunas, um, Professor Brad Pollock, NPR, and the World Health Organization for providing me with the data and information that I used. Thank you all for listening. If you have other questions that you want answered or any suggestions about the way that I can make these recordings more interesting um, or, you know, just general feedback, please let me know. Um, your feedback is really important because I'm making this for you guys um, and I do really want it to be helpful. Oh, and I will be having the recordings translated into French by my lovely girlfriend, Catherine. Thanks, babe. And if any of you guys listening speak another language and are interested in translating for me, um, translating my recordings for me, send me a message and I can set that up with you. I, I really want these to be as accessible as possible and reach as many people as I can. So yeah, thank you all so much and please stay safe.